excited to be here? All right, all right. I'm excited to be here. I got a fresh haircut just for it. Got it last night. So, uh, you know, every time I think about growing my hair out, I have those little instances or moments like the one yesterday where my wife said, wow, you're getting a lot of gray hair. So I uh, went ahead and got a haircut last night. Just keeping it, nothing against anyone that has any gray hair today, all right? We're just not ready to be that wise yet, okay? So, uh, but hey, we are uh, in this series uh, called Change Your World, a study of the book of Nehemiah. And in case you've missed any of the last couple of weeks, uh, let me just bring you up to speed a little bit on this story. Nehemiah was a Jew uh, living in a foreign land, uh, Persia to be exact. And uh, it was his job, his responsibility. He served as cupbearer to the king of Persia at the time. Uh, His name was King Artaxerxes. Now, as cupbearer, it was his job to taste the wine, uh, to drink from the king's cup before the king would ever take a drink, uh, to make sure that no one had poisoned the wine. Now, you might hear something like that and think, wow, that sounds like a great job. You know, I I love wine tasting. All right, well, maybe a great job until somebody poisons the king's cup. You know, then it's not so good of a job. But... One day, Nehemiah learned uh, that his hometown, Jerusalem, was in really bad shape. And a word reached, that Jer- word reached Persia, reached Nehemiah, that the walls in the city of Jerusalem ha- were torn down, uh, that the gates to the city had been burned, and as a result, uh, the city of Jerusalem was really seen as an embarrassment. Uh, and it was an embarrassment not only from the outsiders, but for the people of God, too, the Jews that were living in and around Jerusalem, and even as far beyond to places like Persia, and on top of it, the absence of the walls meant that the people had to live in fear. I mean, they were completely vulnerable to attack from the outside. Now, again, this news really devastated Nehemiah. I mean, it penetrated his heart. It really ripped him up as a person. And one day, his heart was so broken that he thought to himself, you know what, something has to be done here. You know, someone has to do something about this. Something has to change. And, and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I think he was just really asking the question, why shouldn't it be me? I mean, why wouldn't God be calling me to do something about this? Now, what did he do next? Well, he did the, the best thing that you can do in any and every situation. If you encounter a situation like this, was Nehemiah prayed. I mean, he went before God and he prayed and he prayed. He, he prayed to the God of heaven. And from there, he went before the king of Persia. He went to him and said, hey, I'm just asking your permission. I'm asking your blessing to be able to leave here to return to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls. And miraculously, the king let him go. And so Nehemiah made that 1,000-mile trip. He didn't just sit around and whine about this and wishing that someone else would do something to remedy the situation, but he made the 1,000-mile trip back to J-Town. And when he got there, he went to work at surveying all the damage. I mean, he had only heard about it up to this point. And now he's seeing it with his own eyes. He's investigating it for the very first time and trying to understand what it's going to take to rebuild, to repair these walls. And so next he started assembling all the people together. He gathered the Jews. He gathered the people living in and around the city of Jerusalem together. And and keep in mind, these walls have been destroyed for 140 years now. And so they know nothing else. And, And so for the first time in a long time, Nehemiah is speaking some hope into their life. I mean, he's speaking some vision into their life. He's helping them to understand what the problem is. We don't have any walls and what the solution ought to be. And that is that we need to put these walls back together. And so he's bringing this hope. He's making believers out of them. Again, he sees the problem and how it can all be made right. And then he just finally proclaims, we're going to rebuild the walls. That's what I've been called to do. That's why I made the trip. And I'm inviting you. I'm asking you now to help me in rebuilding the city. Now, what happened next? Well, the people got to work. I mean, they got to work. They joined him in rebuilding the walls, and very quickly they started making progress, and then, well, life happened. 
what happened is what always happened, what typically happens over and over again in life, especially when you're making progress or you're working towards a goal or something. I mean, they just ran smack right in the middle, face-to-face with opposition. I mean, they just hit it head on. I mean, the people of Jerusalem, they had enemies, and there are two in particular that we're going to read about today, a guy by the name of Sanballat and another guy by the name of Tobiah, and we'll look at those a little bit next week. But these political enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, they had selfish ambitions. They had financial interests in the area. Uh, They didn't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt to rebuild these walls. They wanted to keep the Jews weak and keep them dependent and and the truth is that what happened to the Jewish people here, the people of Jerusalem, to Nehemiah, well, it often happens to me and you too. And that is this, that the moment you start moving forward in your life, the moment you start listening to God or even start moving in the direction of doing something significant for him, you know, maybe you say, you know, I, I feel and I understand this burden. I want to do something about it. I, I want to right some of the wrongs in my life. The moment you start making progress or moving forward, you can expect like him you're going to hit opposition. You're going to run face-to-face right up against some opposition. Now know this, there is a God in this world. He is a great and he's an awesome and wonderful God. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. But you know what we forget over and over again? That there is a spiritual enemy in this world too. You have an enemy and I have an enemy in Satan. And he is at work in this world and he is always working in such a way to be directly opposed to God. The work of God in your life and in my life and in others' lives too. And it has everything to do with the opposition that Nehemiah and his people are facing. And so I want to pick it up together with you in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you've got your own Bibles and you want to follow along with us, and we'll have the verses on the screen too. And as you get there in their Bibles, let me just kind of tell you what I hope to do today and what I've been praying for and and the encouragement that I hope to bring to you today. I, I want to talk with you this morning about overcoming discouragement in your life. I want to talk with you about what it means to defeat uh, discouragement that might be before you in your life right now. And, and what I want to do as we get towards the end is I just want to give you some tools to work with. Because I believe that what we see here in this story with Nehemiah and his people, that there are some tools, that there are some principles here that you and I can take with us today. And we can apply in our own lives and in our situations. Because the truth is this, the moment that you start living your life from God, The moment you start moving forward with this desire to to make a mark, to do something significant for him, you're going to run up against opposition. And that's just the way the enemy plays. A couple of verses about the enemy and his existence in this world and the way he rolls. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said it this way. He said, you know, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour what does the enemy do well he's a thief who comes to steal kill and destroy Uh, he wanders around like this roaring lion seeking someone to devour when you start moving forward with god you're going to see and meet the enemy head on he is always at work directly working to oppose god in everything that you do and and you just got to keep this in mind as you read nehemiah's story You know, as you look at it on your own, as we consider it here today, because there's a part of me that would like to look at this story and think, you know what, Nehemiah ought to be exempt from this. All right, I mean, God called, he responded, you know, he makes this 1,000 mile trip, he leaves the comforts of the king's palace to go all the way back to Jerusalem to do this work, to rebuild the wall. If anyone deserves to be exempt from the opposition, you know, from some of the pain and, and the circumstances that are going to come with the enemy, you'd think if any guy's going to get a pass, it's going to be a guy like Nehemiah, that it ought to just really be smooth sailing for him. But that's not the case. 
And here is the challenge before you and me every day. And something that I think is just so important, something that we see today, and, and this is true, and I hope you'll write this down because it has everything to what we're, with what we're doing, talking about today. And that's this. Opposition in your life doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It really might mean you're doing something right. And let's just, just let that sink in for a second. The presence or the reality of opposition in your life right now doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing something wrong. Honestly, the presence of opposition in your life might be a great indicator that you are on the right path or you are moving ahead exactly doing what God has called you to do. And some of you might hear something like that and say to yourself, praise Jesus, you know, because I am facing a lot of opposition in my life right now. And so maybe there's a really good chance that I'm doing a lot of things right. Well, that might be true. And some of you are here today and you might be thinking, you know, I am so lucky. I am so fortunate. I mean, everything's been going pretty easy and I don't have any opposition. I don't have anything coming up against me right now. Well, the truth is this. I mean, that may or may not be the case, but you might also want to ask yourself, am I really even doing anything significant for God? Because if you're not doing anything significant for God, then why does he need to mess with you? I mean, what business does he have trying to mess with your life? I was thinking back to a significant time in my life, and, and it was for my wife, too. And when we were coming up against opposition, we were living in Anderson at the time and had just graduated from college. We're newlyweds, and uh, we knew that it was only a matter of time before we would go into full-time ministry. But it was just kind of that game of waiting and just kind of waiting on God. And sure enough, this opportunity came up to go to a church in Michigan. And we were really excited about it, but we were nervous, too, because, again, you know, we're a young couple and we're just out of college in Michigan. You know, I mean, really, we never lived in Michigan before. And we had some people in our life, people that we love, that kind of called us crazy a little bit. I mean, why would you want to move to a town or a location where you don't know anyone? And, and we had a house to sell. And we put that house up for sale, and it didn't sell. And so we were waiting on that. And that was just kind of frightening financially. And wouldn't you know it, just before we made the move, I mean, just over a short period of time, we started learning about some marriages around us that were going through some really difficult times, people that are close to us, and that had a great impact on us too. And so we, we, we were facing all of this opposition as we made this move, and I still remember the night that we didn't sell our house, and so Jenny and I, we loaded up the 1996 Chevy Lumina. We packed it full with as much as we could, but we left most of our house behind, and we made this trip up to St. Joseph, Michigan, and it was this dark March night. We pull into the parking lot of this motel, and every once in a while, have you ever pulled into a motel and you just get a really bad feeling like we didn't make a good choice like what they described in the book or on the internet that's not right here that must be somewhere else and well that became evident when we were checking in and then when we got in the room and opened the door and actually walked in and the curtains and the micro fridge it's always kind of the micro fridge that separates the motels from the hotels you know and all that well I mean, Jenny just plopped right on the bed and she was crying she's like what are we doing here I mean you know Again, it was just all of that pressure of, of that moment and making that move. I mean, looking back on it now, we know, I know with all of my heart that we were facing some very real opposition. And it wasn't because we were doing anything wrong. I mean, we were doing exactly what God had called us to do. And so today, what I want to show you through the story of Nehemiah and, and what I want you to see is that there is a spiritual enemy out there at work and he's working my, working in my life and he's working in your life too and he is always working in opposition to the work that, that God wants to do through you and, and what happens in Nehemiah's life I hope and I'm praying that it'll make some sense of your life too and, and most importantly you know as we look at some of the opposition that he came up against um, I want you to see his response 
And I want you to see how he responds in that opposition and how he is able to keep moving forward, putting all of his faith in God. And so, you know, the enemy, he's always working, always working to discourage us, always working to get in the way. How does he do that? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing is this. The enemy will work. He'll work to discourage you from the outside. You know, the spiritual enemy, enemy, Satan, he'll use these external forces to try and discourage you, to try and get you to give up. Uh, We see this very clearly in these first verses of Nehemiah chapter 4, picking up in verse 1. It says this, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Now, what did he do? Here's what it says. He ridiculed the Jews, which just basically means he made fun of them. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? And so that just basically means not only is he making fun of them, but now he's calling their character into question. Will they restore the wall, he asked. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then there's this other guy, all right, Tobiah. Now we're going to hear from him now. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building? You know, if a fox climbed up on it, he'd break down those walls. I look at that and kind of think, great comeback, you know, there, Tobiah. I mean, that's just really great words. But, but we see that opposition here in this story. I mean, that discouragement from the outside. And let me just kind of show you a few different ways that I think this plays out and how you and I face opposition from the outside. Uh, if you're taking notes, you've got a blank there. Um, write down the word obstacles. I think Satan, he works at the spiritual enemy, yours and mine. He works by putting obstacles before us. I mean, when you start moving forward with God, when you step out in faith with God and say, God, I'm listening to you. I am ready to follow you. I am ready to respond. You can use me. You can be sure that you're going to run into obstacles. They're going to come. And here's how it typically goes. I mean, you're moving forward. You're making progress. You know, you're seeing some things come together and then bam, wouldn't you know it? There is just something that comes up out of nowhere and you're You're tempted to call it a coincidence, but really it's just Satan at work. You know, it's things like this. I mean, maybe you took up the challenge that we gave here back in January, the challenge to tithe in 2012. And you were all about it. You said, you know what, I want to I follow God's design for my life and His plan for, for my giving and for my resources. And so you were all about it and you jumped right in and two weeks after you started, the furnace went out. You know, or the transmission went out of your van and and all of a sudden, you know, everything has to change. Or, or maybe you went through Financial Peace University recently. In fact, you're a huge fan. I mean, if you're going to get a tattoo of Dave Ramsey right there on your arm. I mean, you're just such a believer in that. And, uh, you know, you're all about the envelopes and all about the cash system. And you started and you're on your way. And then you figure out, hey, we got termites. Well, that's our story. We found out we had termites this week. So uh, a lot of fun paying for uh, bug traps. But, uh, you know, maybe you decided that you wanted to be more intentional leading your family spiritually. And so you're spending more time together and you're eating meals together and you're going to church together and you're praying together. But your teenage daughter just told you that she's not sure she believes in God anymore. There are these obstacles that come up, these things that get in our way to try and discourage you. I mean, it's the kind of opposition that Nehemiah faced. You You just met if you've never met him before steve wall and a good friend of mine is our campus pastor for our carmel campus he was up here just a second ago and you know it was almost a year ago now where steve joined our staff and came into full-time ministry with us he had served for over 20 years in the corporate world and i remember a little over around a year ago uh you know steve and benita they were selling their home and making some changes and some adjustments to get ready for full-time ministry and wouldn't you know it the week before their house closes the one that they were selling their basement flooded all right 
you know, they've never had this problem before. Their basement floods. And so we're over there helping them clean it up. I mean, it's enough stress trying to get your home packed up and get moved into a new one. And the carpets had already been cleaned. And now they're trying to get their home ready, you know, before the closing day, you know, so that so that they can move ahead. I mean, when you're doing something significant for God, you're going to run into obstacles. I mean, expect the obstacles. You know, they're going to come. I mean, our enemy doesn't necessarily always attack when you're doing something wrong. Sometimes some of his greatest attacks are when you're on the move, seeking to do something right with your life. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me how we run into some of those even here at Genesis, like on a Sunday morning, you know, maybe it was something with audio or video or something, something that went right all week long and everything was fine on Sunday morning. But when the big moment comes in the service, it doesn't happen, you know. Or as we've been expanding this facility over the last couple of years and all of the work now on the Carmel campus building, you know, there are all these things that you expect to happen in a certain order at a certain pace, but things come up and, you know, these unfortunate things that you've got to work through and it takes more money to do this than you ever thought it would before. Again, there are just all these obstacles and they don't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. You might be doing everything right. Can you think of any in your life? I mean, I just wonder if we kind of went around today. I mean, what are some of those obstacles that maybe you're looking face-to-face at today or maybe things that you've seen in the past? You know, some of you right now, you're making some great strides for God. You're taking some great leaps in your life and, and with your faith, the call that He's put before you. And, and you want to do something significant for God and you want to make your life count. And if you're facing obstacles today, I, I just want to say to you, don't let them discourage you. Right? Don't let them get in your way. I mean, obstacles, again, they don't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. I mean, you might be on the right path. And I want to encourage you to keep going. And you know, Satan discourages us from the outside with these obstacles. But the other thing is that he'll do it with criticism too. Criticism will come up. And not only will you face these, but if you're moving forward with God, you can expect the criticism too. And that's what Sanballat and Tobiah are up to with the Jewish people. I mean, who are these feeble Jews? I mean, what business do they have trying to rebuild this wall? I mean, even if you get it in place, it'll never hold. And so Nehemiah and the Jews were criticized. And again, some of you are here today and you're excited to do something for God. And you felt the burden. Maybe you felt that burden that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And God just keeps doing that work inside of you. And you're not going to sit around and hope someone else gets up to it. But you believe that God is calling you. And so, you know, maybe your burden, maybe your passion is for kids. You know, orphans especially. And, and so you're even at this place where you're thinking about, you know, what if we adopted or... You know, what if we provided a safe home, you know, for others that are in need? And so you're doing the work and, you know, your spouse is on board and your kids are behind you in it. And, well, you told your in-laws the other day and they looked at you with this face like, you're crazy. You can't even take care of your own kids. Like, what business do you have, you know, doing that for someone else? And it's just kind of like a, a nail in your tire and it deflates you. Or maybe you're in a job and a job that you're more than qualified for and you've been doing it for 15 years, but... What you know is this, that you're not going to spend the next 15 years what you did the first 15. Because again, you, you believe and sense that God is doing something inside of you. And so you know that could mean a demotion, that could mean a change, that could mean a transfer. It could mean a different career altogether or more schooling. And you know, again, your spouse is behind you in that, but you shared it with your best friend the other day and they called you an idiot. I mean, why would you ever make such a move? I know that some of you are here today and you're single. And you're working really hard to be patient with God in that. And you want to be married, but you're not going to lower your standards. You know, and you're going to wait and you're going to wait on God. But you've got family members in your ear all the time saying, you know, lower your standards. Don't be so picky. You're not getting any younger. 
We probably have some women here today, maybe men, you know, that you're here and God is doing this great work in your life, but your spouse isn't, your husband isn't. And every day, every weekend, it's just kind of a battle to be here. I mean, you know you want to be here, and for him it's kind of like, I mean, why do you want to spend your time there on a Sunday morning when you can be at home? And and maybe there's, you know, he's just feeling threatened a little bit of, why do you want to go listen to some other guy tell you how to live your life? And I, mean, I can understand what that would be like, but for you, that criticism, I mean, it's coming from your own house. And what do you do with it? Here, here's why I think it's so important to see the criticism in Nehemiah's story and understand it, your, its role in your, in your world and in mine. I mean, if you want to change the world, if you want to do something significant for God, you're going to face criticism. I mean, it's going to come up. I mean, Satan attacks and deflates. He confuses us with criticism. In fact, we talked about leadership this past week. Criticism is a part of leadership. If you're going to lead, you better expect that you will be criticized, whether it be at a church or at your work or in your neighborhood or in some sort of community organization. I mean, it's what happened in Nehemiah. Now, what did he do with it? Well, he didn't say, man, people are mean, you know. I mean, like, we got to stop. You know, we need to do something differently. No, I want you to see what he did. I mean, what did he do? What did Nehemiah do when the criticism reached his ears? He took it to God. And if you read the text for yourself, and we're going to look at it together in just a moment, he took that criticism to God, but do you know what he did after that? He got back to work. Anytime you lead, whether it be others, your family, or even in your own life, you're going to come up against criticism. People are going to attack you with criticism. And when they do, you don't have to lead defensively. And you don't have to work hard to make sure that everyone comes beside you. Instead, you just need to take it to God. And on many occasions, he's going to tell you to get back to work. Keep doing what I called you to do. You know, sometimes people will ask me, Paul, do you ever get criticism? Does Peyton Manning play for the Denver Broncos? You know, you know, I, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I have been really fortunate in 12 years of ministry. I have served at three awesome churches and I love every bit of what I do today. But I'll tell you at all in ministry, people criticize. I mean, you're going to come up against criticism and people are going to say things and they're going to make accusations. And, you know, when your church grows, they're going to say there's an ulterior motive, you know, and, and people are going to say that you don't really care. And and when change is on the front, you know, there are all sorts of questions that come in mind. I, I, I've, I've seen friends, you know, and, and it's really unfortunate, but I've seen friends that have been run out of ministry for a whole bunch of different reasons, including that of pressure, pressure and criticism. In fact, I, I heard about a study done recently and I still can't believe it for myself, but I keep seeing it over and over again in different places. But there was a study done recently that said of all the men and women who enter full-time ministry, 10% of them will retire from full-time ministry. Like the pressure is that great. I mean, it's tough leading. You know that. It's tough leading at work. It's tough leading in your homes. I mean, does the criticism hurt and affect me? Yeah. And sometimes it hurts, it hurts badly, you know. I mean, I'm a people pleaser through and through. I would love for everyone to love me all the time. You know, I, I love people and I love what I do, but I know that that's not always the case. And one of the things that I have learned and I am still learning, and maybe you're learning too, is that if you're going to do something significant for God, you better expect that you're going to come up against opposition. You're going to come up against some criticism. Now, what do you do when you're on the receiving end of that criticism? Well, here's just one thing that I've learned that's been passed on to me that I think is helpful. And that is this, that in every situation where I receive some criticism, it's important to ask, is there a bit of truth in this criticism? Like, is there even a nugget 
or a morsel or a teeny title, a tiny particle that cannot even be seen under a microscope. You know, is there any truth in all this whatsoever? Because I want to be humble in it, you know, and, and you should too. And, and one of the other things that I've learned is that you should always consider the source. I mean, and really ask yourself, is this someone that loves me? Is this someone who is growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And there's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in them. And if so, I better listen, and I better listen really well. But if not, and you'll come up against this too, sometimes you're going to discover that people, well, they just think it's their spiritual gift, you know, to to be critical. Or you're you're going to come up against people in your life that are just critical for being critical. And, And most importantly, though, when it comes to criticism, you and I, we've got to take it and we've got to lay it before God, our Savior, And oftentimes, you know what he's going to tell you to do? He's going to say, it's time to get back to work. You leave this to me, and it's time to get back to work. When you're doing something right, when you're attempting to do something right for God, whether it be as a pastor, a mom, a husband, a young couple seeking to get your marriage off on the right foot, a student, you know, trying to stand up for your faith at your school or on your campus, you're going to come up against criticism. The enemy will oppose you, and he'll oppose you from the outside with things like obstacles and criticism but unfortunately he won't just do it from the outside either he's going to do it on the inside too and that's the second thing that i want you to see look at verse 10 it says meanwhile the people in judah that's here in jerusalem said they started saying this to nehemiah the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall again this is the discouragement from the inside Again, you're doing something significant for God. You better expect that you're going to receive some of that discouragement on the inside. And you can kind of hear it in the people. Who do we think we are? I mean, do we really think that we can do this? Why can't we just leave things as is? Why do we have to go around changing, you know, everything? Again, let's not forget these walls have been lying on the ground for 140 years. No one was ever alive to ever know another day. All right. This is the way that it had always been. And when work gets tough. Right. And when you're standing face to face up against opposition in your life and the obstacles are there and the criticism really gets moving and the commotion all around you. I mean, it's those voices that take over, isn't it? Those voices that you start hearing in your head or in your heart about, you know, really, do I have what it takes? Am I doing the right thing? Will we ever make it through this? I've been coaching both my boys baseball teams, uh, one of the assistant coaches and that's a lot of fun and a lot of learning. And uh, for Joel's team, I typically play the role when they're up to bat as the bench coach. It's like herding cats, all right? You know, I mean, just trying to keep them in the dugout and keep them from climbing all over one another. But one of the things that I notice is that as they get older in baseball, I mean, the pressure really increases. And you can really see it in some of the kids. I mean, you go and you put their helmet and it's two sizes too big and you put it on their head and you look them in the eyes and and they've just got that look of don't send me out there i don't want to go out there you know and it's like no you got to go bad and and they walk up there and they get to the batter's box and they're hearing it from their coach all these last minute adjustments get your bat up in the air get your elbow in place follow through keep your eye on the ball and and grandpa's there and he's giving some last minute instructions and mom and dad are encouraging and, and then there's all of your teammates and then there's all those people out in the field and the next thing you know you got two strikes on you and so that pressure is just increasing and then if you strike out then the next time you come up to bat you've got those voices in your head like oh it's going to happen again you know i'm going to swing i'm going to miss the ball i can promise you this when you step out in your life to do something significant for god you better be ready to face some opposition you better be ready for those challenges on the inside and again it might not mean that you're doing anything wrong 
It could mean that you're doing everything right. And sometimes that commotion and those voices and those opinions will start flying at you from all different directions. And from some, there'll be very good intentions, very positive intentions, but others not. But when the temperature increases and things get really challenging, you're going to hear it from the inside. And there's a chance that you'll really start to doubt yourself. Now, why? Well, because the spiritual enemy is always at work seeking to oppose anything and everything that God wants to do in your life or in and through you. I mean, that's just the way that he works. But be encouraged. And I know that it's difficult to sometimes see the bright spots and the discouragement, but you're not being attacked because you're doing something wrong. In fact, you might just be being attacked because you're doing something right. You know, I don't know about you, I get discouraged. I get overwhelmed. And I think that's a little bit of what Nehemiah observed in his people. And I wonder how much of that discouragement was starting to creep in to his own life too. And so I want to briefly look at his response. How did he respond? I mean, the workers were losing hope. The work of the wall was threatened. The success of the project was in great jeopardy. And I just want you to see how Nehemiah and his people responded because I think it'll breathe some truth and some life into how you and I walk out of these doors and live our lives today. Nehemiah 4.14 It says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And so Nehemiah says, don't be afraid. And I think if you were living in the New Testament days, he'd have said something like Romans 8, 31, which says, what then shall we say in response to this? If our God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that today, Genesis Church? Do you believe that is truth in your life and in my life, that if our God is for us, if he is for me, then who can be against me? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Now all glory to God who is able. That means he is able in my family. He is able in your workplace. He is able in your neighborhood or on your team or on your campus. Our God is able in your kids' lives that through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And then Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Nehemiah says, remember, we've got to remember the Lord. Let's remember who this is that we're talking about, who is great and awesome. Two things that I want to give you today before you go. Again, two things, two tools to take with you as you walk out of these doors in just a moment. The first thing is this. When you face opposition, when you face obstacles, when you face criticism or discouragement in your life, the first thing is this. You need to remember the Lord. You and I re- need to remember the Lord. It says, remember the Lord who was what? Great. Now, we, and that's cool. The Jewish people that heard Nehemiah saying that was for me what he was talking about. Because when Nehemiah said what he was saying, hey, lived a long time ago in Egypt. And do you remember one day how God heard their cry, their pain, praise, and Moses questioned him, ballast, stood before Pharaoh, remember when you really he was come? And do you remember when Moses raised his arms in the air and the sea parted? And do you remember when the people walked through on dry ground and it didn't stop there, but they kept walking and a cloud led them by day and fire led them by night? And Nehemiah said, hey, do you remember? This is the God we're talking about. And the God that's capable of doing this, he can give us the power to rebuild these walls too. You know, it's time to remember. And if you're discouraged today, I want to challenge you to spend some time thinking, when's the time that God provided in my life? Can I remember a time that He showed up for me? Can I remember a time He protected me when He showed favor into my life? Can I remember a time when He spoke words of truth and encouragement into my life? I love the story that I came across this past week about Martin Luther. 
uh, just kind of laying out that Martin Luther went through this very dark, prolonged time of depression and, and was really worn out. And on this one particular occasion, his wife had had enough of it. And she came walking into the room and she was wearing all black. And in that moment, Martin Luther looked at her and just sort of said to her, you know, with a sarcasm in his tone, you know, who died? And she said, well, evidently God did. And he said, you're crazy. God's not dead. And she said, great. Now that we've cleared that up, why don't you start living like it? Friends, we need to remember the Lord in all that we do. Our God is not dead. He is alive. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He can work in your life too. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. We need to remember the Lord. The second and the last thing is this. You and I, we need to fight for our cause. You need to fight for your cause, not for yourself. If you fight for yourself, you will wear out. You'll break down. But if you fight for your vision, if you fight for the calling that God has laid on your life, that he's placed on your life, if you fight for someone who you love or someone who needs you or someone who's not going to make it without you, if you fight for the clear calling that God has laid on your heart, then I promise you that God will give you the strength to see you through. Look at the words of Nehemiah again, verse 14. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. I, I love how he starts putting specific faces and images in people's minds. You know, don't, don't just do it for something. Do it for someone. Do it for God. Do it for your little boy. Do it for your little girl. Do it for your wife who is at home right now. Hey, if leading your family is really hard right now, do it for your kids. Don't give up. Remember the Lord. Remember his strength and how awesome he is. You know, if you're facing some difficult times financially, remember the Lord. You know, if you're wanting to make some big change in your life, maybe you're seeking to find recovery, find victory over an addiction or something, you know, remember the Lord. Remember what He wants to do in you and the people that are around you that are cheering you on. Following Jesus isn't a picnic. It isn't. And we'd like to think that it's a playground, but it's more of a battleground that we realize because we fight not against the flesh and blood of this world, but as the Bible says, we fight against the principalities and the powers of this dark world. You and I, we have a spiritual enemy too. And he shows up to oppose you in any and every situation, even when you're trying to do something right, something for God. Fight for your call. Fight for your cause, your faith in your God. Fight like a man of God. Fight like a woman of God. Let's close it up with these last verses. Nehemiah four fifteen. I want you to just see how this comes to an end for today. It says, When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. All right? You see some brave heart coming together here? The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah, verse 17, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I love this verse. I love these verses because oftentimes people like to think that God is wimpy and that Christians all are about flower power or something, all right? These verses say that our God rocks, all right? You know, and, and he has called us and he is challenging you and me to fight for our cause, to fight for the burden that he's placed on your life and the vision that he's placed before you. I charge you today by the power of God in me and the power of God that I know is present today to fight for your cause to fight for the people in your life that you feel called to. You know, whether it be the unborn, the victims of human trafficking, kids caught up in abuse right now, that single mom, your own children, your teens, or your marriage. You fight for your cause. 
And as you do that, remember the Lord. Remember who He is and His faithfulness and His power and His strength ready and available to us all and to this church. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your power and for Your words of encouragement and life for us today. And I thank You for all those that are here and trust, God, that You have a message uh, for every single one of us and that You'll clear that up if that's confusing here this morning so that as we walk away from here, we'll know what to do with it. God, we thank You that You are with us at all times, that You are our helper, our guide, and our strength, that we are never alone. And God, I pray that we would know that truth in our hearts today. And if, if that's kind of where you are today, and just again with every head bowed and every eye closed, I mean, if you're facing some discouragement in your life and you just want to offer your life up to God today saying, hey, I'm discouraged, just slip your hand up where you are right now. Just as a way of saying, I, I need God. I need His power and His strength over discouragement in me right now. Thank you for those hands. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for those here right now who are just very specifically saying, I need your strength in my life right now. God, we are grateful that when we call out to you, that you are there and that you listen. And I pray now through the power of your spirit that you would speak into these hearts and these lives and that you would encourage us, remind us of you, that we might remember you in all things, that we would remember the Lord. God, go with us today. And I also want to just acknowledge, you know, as we pray that there might be some here today and you're trying to do this all on your own. And you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but... You feel Him drawing you to Himself today. You can't do it on your own. I'm telling you that you do not have the strength to do it on your own. But our God, He sent Jesus Christ to rescue us, to rescue you. And His love is free and available. And by God's grace, it is there for you today. But you just have to take it. And if that's where you are right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and just as a way of acknowledging, a way of stepping forward with your life today, saying, I'm taking Jesus Christ as my own today. I'm receiving him into my life. Just slip your hand up where you are right now. I won't call you out. I'm not going to call you by name or embarrass you. But just as a way of saying, I, I need Jesus. I'm receiving him into my life today. And if that's you, you can pray this prayer with me. Lord, I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, my Savior. God, forgive me of my sins. Give me hope for today and hope for tomorrow. God, I pray and offer up all of these prayers given to you today. And Lord, we are, we are comforted in knowing that you know every single one of us. You know the hairs on our head. You know the stories of our lives, those things that frustrate us, encourage us, and bring us joy. God, would you walk with us today? Help us to remember you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.